Two. No. Podcast. With. Chad Ferguson. Hey everybody, this is Chad with I Want to Know. We're here today with our special guest, Jamie Pruden, also known as Sebastian Steele, a hypnotist, a comic, uh, a dad, and a recovering crack addict. Uh, we have so much to talk about today, I don't know if t- two hours is even going to be enough. <laughs> uh, so we had a little bit of technical difficulty to start, and now we're on the right page. Everything is running well. And uh, we were talking about uh, uh, what got you into hypnotism. Yeah, and as I was saying, I, I started out in high school. We had a hypnotherapist come into our Psych 30 class, and I was just very fascinated by it. And uh, after the class, I talked to him to find out where I can get the information to learn more about it. He yeah. gave me uh, where I could get the literature, and I just read up on it, self-taught, and Very cool. that's as far as that went. Uh, out of high school, I was in theater. So I uh, toured around doing theater. And then from theater, I got into doing improv comedy and toured around doing that. And then from there, we all branched out separate and started doing stand-up comedy, latter part of the 80s, early 90s, touring with Yak Yaks kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, from there, that was when I first started uh, getting into the drug deal kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was my first rock bottom was after doing stand-up and uh, took a hiatus from entertainment for about six years to get myself cleaned up. Yeah. And uh, from there... I was looking for a new way to get back out on stage, but because of the whole drug episode, I'd burned a lot of bridges and let a lot of people down, whatnot. And uh, so now those people that I was performing with, after six years, they're up there and they're in charge of things right. and stuff yeah. like that. So uh, I didn't know how I was going to get back in there. And um, I had to hit a rock bottom low after six years of not being an entertainer and that was just something my soul my heart was into right and uh this is this is gonna get dark real fast that's okay right off the get-go we're going down the rabbit hole here we go um so at that point because uh all i had was a high school uh education um, the only work I was getting was retail or working in bars or nightclubs djing and stuff like that yeah and I was working in St. Albert in a place called the Bruin Inn. And, uh, sounds rough. The hotel was closed to the public. It was one of the, it's an old pioneer hotel. Yeah. And, uh, the bar, I was brought in there because somebody had just leased it out and pulled the Midnight Express and took everything with it. So I was with, uh, another bar that the guy leasing it had sent me over there and said, just, you can stay in the hotel. I'll send housekeeping from this hotel over to that hotel to make sure everything's all good for you. Nice. And uh, just look after the place, make sure that the VLTs are getting played kind of thing so they don't pull VLTs, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I just found myself sitting in this building in St. Albert by myself, had the whole place to myself, bar, upstairs, whatnot, and uh, a lot of time to think. And uh, it... This this one night, I got really into the whole, you know, you you screwed up, you you went, you made bad choices, right? You burned your bridges. You don't know where you're gonna go from here. That's it, right? And then I took a bottle of booze up to my hotel room and put a belt over the shower bar and oh wow, and was uh, trying to get the liquid courage to get up and do it. Yeah, and uh, 
I had it around my neck. I was standing on the edge of the tub and just saying to myself, I was literally at that point on the edge of just saying, one step, just do it. Yeah. It'll be quick, just one step. Yeah. But it was like a kid standing at the top diving board at a pool. Right. And every time you go to just jump, you get that... That hesitation, that, that fear. That pull. And this voice in my head just said, this isn't you. Yeah. You don't even know who you are anymore. I'm glad for that. Go out, find yourself, and then see yeah. if you hate yourself this much. Wow, that's so, uh, that's powerful. Yeah. But uh, the weird thing about it, like uh, they say fate, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, the very next day, literally the next day, I'm in the bar. I'm hungover because I drank a lot in that bathroom, <laughs> getting that courage. And uh, I'm miserable. I'm not happy. I'm depressed. Yeah. And there was actually some people in the bar that evening. And uh, this guy came into the bar. And he said, uh, my name is uh, Mickey Lee. And I am doing a hypnosis show. I'm trying. I just, I'm just learning it. I have no theater experience or anything like that. He was actually like a, a welder, a metal worker. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, would you mind if I used your patrons in the bar to practice a show? No, no pay. You don't, I'm looking, I'm not looking to get paid or anything. I just want to practice just a show a room. on volunteers. Yeah. So could I use your, your room? And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, if they're, if they're into it, yeah, go ahead. And, uh, I'd never, I've, I learned hypnosis, but I learned it from the books and I had never, ever seen a stage hypnosis show before. Okay. I just knew the clinical or the therapeutic end of hypnosis. Yeah. And uh, so when this guy started doing his show, because he had no theater training, all my theater training started kicking in. Oh, you and could I, do this and you should be, yeah. Well, I found myself sitting at the end of the barn in my head. I'm critiquing them. I'm sitting there going, oh, you're holding your mic in the wrong hand. You need to hold in the other hand because you're blocking yourself. You're blocking yourself from the audience. You're not projecting two inches from the mic. Uh, this would be good, but you need, uh, and just all these little critiques. And then it, in my head, it was like, Jamie. Why aren't you doing this? You know how to do this. <laughs> Beautiful. And that, and that day, it was like, you know what? Two weeks later, I was out of that hotel, yeah. staying at a friend's house. And, uh, he was learning to do my sound for me. He got on board with me, and uh, it started. And then uh, right within the first, we, we did one show in a bar to practice to get our bugs out. Yeah. And then we did another show at a bigger bar, and in the audience, Yuck Yucks, of all people, was in there. And uh, that was one of the people I had had a falling out with because of the right. whole. Yeah. And when I heard they were in the audience, I was really nervous going, oh, God, if they know who I am, if they find out it's me, they're going to leave. Yeah, yeah. You know? And sure enough, within 15 minutes into the show, I saw them get up and leave. Mm. And then the next day, we got a phone call from them. Yeah. Saying, we have a guy that we just booked for three weeks but he ain't cutting it, would you guys be willing to come in and take over? Beautiful. 
I have so many questions. So I know that was a quick story, and I didn't I didn't want to interrupt no, no, what you were saying. Um, I, I I sort of want to go back to the beginning in that mm-hmm. in that hotel room. Um, you were a dad by then. No. Oh, this is before you were a dad. Yeah. Well, there's another story that we'll get into later. <laughs> okay. I was a dad. I didn't know I was a dad. Oh, okay. I just found out two years ago that I had a 25-year-old daughter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, there's so many things we can get into today. <laughs> um, but we'll go back to the hotel room because I, I actually lost a friend to suicide uh, mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. Um, uh, he was in a good place. Like He was running a gym. He had mm-hmm. a great wife and a career and you know wasn't where he thought he should be, but he was doing things well. Uh, black belt in jiu-jitsu, tons of friends, family, great pastor, great church, everything was there. Mm-hmm. And he ended up uh, hanging himself in his, in his own home. Um, it was heartbreaking because he was doing everything right that we think you're supposed to do. Exercise regularly, be around family, you know, don't have negative or, or hard people around you that are, are, you know, bringing you down kind of thing. And yet the depression had overcome him. Yes. Um, and uh, I, 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 I can't say I understand depression because I will get depressed, but I don't stay there very long. It's like, yeah. I, and I get that there's people that can't pull themselves out of it. So for you, what was, and you said you had that word, uh, you heard that voice in the back of your head saying, this is not you, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Um, where, where do you think that voice came from? What, what was the, the trigger? I think uh, in the back of my head, there's a part of me um, from growing up, the, the childhood I had, I was a fighter. I was always a fighter. Yeah. And I always had this voice in the back of my head that said, don't let them get the better of you. Yeah. Don't, don't let them get the better of you. No matter what, fight back. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you uh, you stepped off there and and you made the changes. Thank you. Um, it's it's heartbreaking when people can't pull out of that dark space. I had. Uh, I, I, did you see the post I did this morning on Facebook? I think uh, I'm not remembering. I read a bunch this Is morning. Is it okay if I read it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a song I wrote about three months ago. Okay. And a lot of the stuff I'm very open on my social media. A lot of people. Uh, don't agree with how open I am on Facebook or everybody takes social media as a, Ooh, be careful, be careful. Yeah. Big brother's watching you. Everybody's listening. Uh, blah, blah. And I'm actually glad everybody's listening because the stuff too. that I say, um, I don't say it, uh, in the means of pity me or, Oh, poor me. And I want yeah. a pity party or anything like that. I tell my story because I honestly believe I'd be rather arrogant to think I was the only one that's going through stuff like that. There's so many people out there that listen to the people that say, keep your mouth shut. Right. And they keep it in. I know. And so these things that I say on social media are things that uh, I bring out not to get people to feel pity for me, but to let people out there know that they're not alone. So if I can tell my story and get other people to go, hey, I'm not the only one. If he can do it. Okay, I believe, you know? and because of the the positive feedback that I get from so many people from it, um, I, they... I honestly think. Sorry to cut you off. I honestly think that being open emotionally is the the structure for a good person's life. If you can't sit back and go, 
I'm sad or I'm angry or I'm whatever um, mm-hmm. and uh, and evaluate that. Why am I mad? Why am I angry? Why Absolutely. Am I, and sometimes you need the outside world to help you evaluate that. Uh, my family growing up held everything in. You don't let anything outside the house. And I just Same. went the complete opposite way. I tell everybody everything. Yeah. And anything that changes in my life, I got 10 people that have to hear that story mm-hmm. so I can get some feedback and like, am I thinking about this right? Am I doing it right? Is Absolutely. It, you know, is there a better way? Maybe I'm doing it right, but there's a, a better way to do it. So Absolutely. I'd love to hear your story. So I put out a post about three months ago, and I said, sometimes our life's journey take us down some dark paths. I know in my past I tried to take my own life. I know others who have also tried. I know of people who have lost people to suicide in their memory and to those who have been there and to those who feel they may be headed there. I wrote this, and I dedicate it to everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's called Hope. He thought forever she would be in his life. That's why he took the vows that made them husband and wife. 20 years in, she slept with a friend. The divorce soon was filed. She got the house. She got the child. Wait a second here. <laughs> she got the house. She got the child. He couldn't take it anymore. He closed his basement door. He tried to find the words to write in his note. He took a deep breath, and this is what he wrote. There are two ends to this rope I hold. One is weak. The other is bold. Instead of swinging low, I choose to conquer doubt. Hand over hand, I'll try to climb my way out. There's strength in every pull as I rise higher and higher. There's a different kind of tug on this rope. It's called hope. That's beautiful. Slut, freak, bitch, geek, you're such a fucking loser. The words she heard daily in the fists of her abuser. Because she isn't cool, she finds different ways to walk to school. The bullies knew every way and would hurt her every day. She couldn't take it anymore. She closed her bedroom door. She tried to find the words to write in her note. Sorry. It's okay. She took a deep breath, and this is what she wrote. There are two ends to this rope I hold. One is weak. The other is bold. Instead of swinging low, I choose to conquer doubt. Hand over hand, I'll try to climb my way out. There's a strength in every pull as I rise higher and higher. There's a different kind of tug on this rope. It's called hope. God is trade, punched a clock, 40 years of working hard. Just years before his pension, called him in and dealt this card. Cutbacks are in. We had to let you go for what you earn. Barely getting by. Nothing to leave my wife if I should die. He couldn't take it anymore. He shut the garage door. He tried to find the words to write in his note. He took a deep breath, and this is what he wrote. Chorus. Chorus. Coke, crack, or meth just kept getting high. No money, no friends, an empty life just passing by. Nothing to his name. Friends and family left the game. He reached rock bottom of the drugs that finally got him. Couldn't take it anymore. He locked the washroom door. He tried to find the words to write in his note. He took a deep breath, and this is what he wrote in the chorus. Never knew how to fit in, never was outgoing. No one saw his pain, so none were ever knowing. His life was four dark walls where no one ever calls. Oh, if we could only see the pain of being lonely. He couldn't take it anymore, so he locked his dorm room door. He tried to find the words to write in his note. He took in a deep breath, and this is what he wrote. 
chorus, and then happy, sad, scared, mad, a roller coaster in her head. The doctor said she has a problem that's cured by taking meds. She finds it hard to deal with how her head makes her feel. On her arms, she often cuts because the world just thinks she's nuts. She couldn't take it anymore. She locked up all the doors. She tried to find the words to write in her note. And as she took a deep breath, this is what she wrote. There are two ends to this rope I hold. One is weak, the other is bold. Instead of swinging low, I choose to conquer doubt. Hand over hand, I try to climb my way out. There's strength in every pull. As I rise higher and higher, there's a different kind of tug on this rope. It's called hope. Mm. That is a beautiful uh, poem, song. Um, it is so powerful. What, what, uh, what led you to write it? Um, I found, I, I don't ever go back to that head sta- headspace. Mm-hmm. I, I've never, ever since then thought about suicide. Okay. But I do have friends out there. Uh, some have lost their children to suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have lost their husbands to suicide. Some their boyfriends, girlfriends, and such. And uh, I had just seen... You know, and then also a lot of the celebrities yeah, and stuff that have been happening in the media in the past few years. And um, I just wanted to put something out there, and I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be something that showed people that I saw a lot of different things that people don't realize. Yeah. That bring people to that end of hope. Yeah. And... I wanted it to be something that if I can catch as many people that are in any of those scenarios or know of people, mm-hmm. and if there's other scenarios, that there could be so many more lyrics wrote to this, yeah. depending on so many other situations that are out there. But they all have the same refrain, which was, you know, instead of tugging down, there's a tug up on that rope. Right, right. You know? Uh, I think what we were saying right before you read that about um, talking to people, and I don't know what, I'm not judging anyone, not everyone has this ability, but if you train your friends and your family and your children into sharing as often as possible about how they feel, good or bad, right? Most of the time, even family members, just like, you know, why are you sad? Well, that's not the right way to approach it. Ball up where, you know, put your big boy pants on and exactly. deal with it kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm guilty of it for sure as a dad and as a husband that maybe not being as, I am too. as uh, empathetic as I should be at times. And it's, it's a, it's a when, you, when you're raising children, it's a, it's a very uh, double-edged sword. Yeah. You know, at one end, you want to not overcompensate your children you want them to know how to live if you weren't around right. they want to you want them you want to know that you want to feel secure in knowing that they know how to take care of themselves look after themselves if you weren't around right but on the same hand you want to protect them <laughs> i i'm i'm lucky my wife is the nurturer protector mm-hmm. so i'm the one that gets to let them you know walk you know, off the diving board or, you know, you know, mm-hmm. go to the park by themselves, that kind of thing, that uh, I'm the brave one in doing that. But I'm also a, a strong believer in giving them abilities, not yep. to, you know, create fear inside of them. It's like, oh, this is a possibility. But if it happens, you're just going to do this. 
and right. Yes. And then they're just aware of what's going on around them. And I yeah. think it's not keeping our kids safe, but also not putting them in danger. That's yeah. the line to me is like, I'm not going to let my daughter walk downtown Chinatown by herself. Exactly. Right. But I can let her walk to the park or, you know, over to, you know, our rec center or whatever the that. Develop a sense of independence. Yeah. You know? They just have this little circle and the better they are, the bigger that circle gets and you just give them freedoms as they, as they need it and deserve it and yeah. have, have earned it through, um, you know, showing their capabilities. Uh, uh, I'm not a big firm believer in, you know, I love my kids. I hug and I cuddle them and yep. um, uh, I'm not opposed to that at all, but mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to discipline either. Yep. I've seen too many parents where they're just about making them their best friends <laughs> and uh, I just watch those kids struggle. It's true. It's it's almost like, um, say, someone that's managing a, a company or a store or anything like that and they try and be buddy-buddy with the employees. Yeah. And there's friends is friends, business is business. And and the same thing, too, I think applies to family as well, too. Um, Buddy is buddy. Yeah. But. There's a business relationship. So I work for a a large corporation. I'm Mm -hmm. a general manager there. And and we have 22 or 23 employees. And... um, uh, part of our our stance is that we're a relational company. And so we make sure we understand what's happening in our employees' families and in their lives. And, you know, if there's something we can offer them, we're going to offer that to them. It's not the same as, you know, my best friend or, or my wife or, you know, that's not that kind of relationship. Yeah. But there's also a time where like, well, this guy's, you know, for instance, has a sick wife. We're going to give him a couple days off. Yeah. You know what? This is, uh, we're going to give this to you. We want you to take some time, get things in order. Even though our business is going to suffer because of it, we can still be relational enough to realize that you're better at home with your wife until she's better. And yeah. then you can come back to work, no harm, no foul. There's no nothing holding you back in that situation. Yeah. But in the same token, I'm not going... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going over to his house. I'm not hanging out with him regularly, right? I'm still the boss there. Yeah. But I have to be relational enough to understand what's going on with them. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm really interested after the bathroom episode <laughs> that, uh, um, you know, obviously you got really loaded that night, sucked back a bunch of booze. Um, were you still doing crack at that time, not at that time? Yeah, off and on. Off and on. I wasn't so much into the crack than I was doing coke. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, uh, the predecessor. Yeah. When Coke's not strong enough. Right. Yeah. The, uh, and you, you were basically a functioning addict. You, you were a dad, you, you raised, uh, I raised my son on my own. Yeah. Yeah. His, his mom was a meth addict. Okay. Uh, I think she still battles, has some battles, but, uh, uh, and I know some people, look at me as a hypocrite and uh you know how can how how so um to fight against her for having an addiction meanwhile i've got an addiction okay you know what i mean yeah um i was a functioning addict i know i wouldn't do that around my son um And I do everything to the best of my ability to make sure he had a roof over his head, clothing on, food, yeah, everything like that. Um, I was 
for the most part a weekend warrior. There were some times where it did lap into the weekdays and stuff like that, but um, I'd catch it if it started going like that route and just keep it to the weekends. My son was always over at his grandparents. Because you were traveling for yeah. for your shows. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, but the second I got paid and I had a wad of bills in my pocket, you know, <laughs> I'd be a half hour to the city phoning the dealer. I'll be in the city in a half hour, man. Yeah. But um, um, this this might sound ridiculous if you've never done done drugs before. I have. Okay. Yeah. You, you a might... lot of my youth, I uh, I did coke and acid and pot and a ton okay. of drinking. You take a meth addict. Oh, sorry. It's all good. You take a meth addict and you take a crack addict and stand them side by side. Yeah. The crack addict is the marijuana user of the two. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I, I sort of get where you're going. Yeah. Um, meth is just such. So powerful. So, so strong. So powerful. It makes crack look like candy. Like candy. Yeah. It's, it's such a. Horrible, horrible drug. I think that put the drugs aside, whether there's people that do cocaine that should never be parents, there's people that drink that should never be parents, and there's sober people that should never be parents. Mm -hmm. And you have to do what's right for your child. So whether she's doing crack or she's drunk or she's doing meth or whatever it is, if it's not healthy for your son to be around, then your number one job is to protect your son, not to make life better for her. Yeah. Right? And so a hypocrite... I, I I couldn't I can't believe that that's not that's not how I see it you know regardless of the criticism that you can get from other people your motive was to do what was right for your son yeah there's a lot of people too that just don't understand what addiction is or or oh, yeah. or drugs are they they're very uh they've lived very naive lives they were raised a certain way there's a culture of People that do drugs are bad people. Yes. And some of them are. But some people that don't do drugs are bad people. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I put a post up a couple of weeks ago uh, regarding a friend of mine. And if it's okay to tell this person's sure. story, because I think people can learn from this as well, too. It's not just addicts that overdose. Right. Okay. Um, back when I was starting out doing the hypnosis shows and we got signed on with Yuck Yucks, we ended up being their house act every Wednesday night for like three and a half years. Here in Calgary? In Edmonton. In Edmonton. At, yep. When it was on Bourbon Street in West Hamilton Mall. And uh, there was one gentleman that would come to my show every week. And uh, night after night. And because he was a regular, I got to know him. We became friends. And I found out that uh, one night when we were having drinks after the show, the reason he confided in me, the reason why he was coming to the show was under the philosophy of laughter is medicine. Mm-hmm. And he was going through a very difficult divorce at yeah. the time. And he didn't want the divorce, but... Uh, I'm not sure what the story was behind the divorce. It wasn't any of my business. But um, I know he was really struggling with it. And there was a six-year-old boy and a seven-year-old daughter that was being caught in the middle of it as well, too. And that was really troubling him as well. And so his Wednesday nights to come out to see the show was his get some laughter while my life sucks right now kind of thing. And uh, after we left Yuck Yucks, I lost track I lost contact with this gentleman. And, uh, of course, there was no Facebook or anything like that back then. This mm-hmm. was around 2000, 2001. Yeah. 
And um, last year, this gentleman found me on Facebook and sent me a friend request, and we caught up and became friends again. And last August, he was sending me pictures of him and his uh, now 26 and 27-year-old son and daughter, yeah. uh, their husband, her husband, and his son's girlfriend, and uh, some other people, and they were all having a family vacation out in the Shushwaps houseboating yeah. all throughout August, and sending all these pictures, and oh, look at this, man, look how much my son's grown, and my daughter's grown, and uh, my granddad, and all this type of stuff, and then September, I get this private message from him. And it said, Jamie, I need you to do me a favor. I know you're really busy, but I need you to do a portrait of my son mm -hmm. that we can use at his funeral. Oh. And I was like, what happened? You guys were just houseboating, good timing. What happened? He overdosed. Wow. On cocaine. Yeah. And he had a cocaine overdose. And he said, I don't understand it, Jamie, because my son was all about physical fitness and working out. His body was his temples, what he always said to everybody. He ate healthy. The girlfriend he met, he met through an online dating service that that was what she had in common with him, was into working out and physical fitness and a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. She gave up her entire life in Saskatoon, quit her job, moved out, sold everything just to come here to Edmonton and move in with this guy and be a part of his life so they could do this lifestyle together. Right. They were in love and everything like that. So to all of a sudden get that phone call that, you know, you need to come and identify your son. Uh, we believe he's this, we've got in as a cocaine overdose. Yeah. So he went through his son's phone looking for answers. Yeah. How could this be? And he had found on numerous occasions his son's friends messaging him and texting him saying, hey, we just picked some up. Why don't you come and party with us? Yeah. Come on, come on. And he was always, no, no, not my thing. My body's my temple, not my thing. And then one time, that one time, right? he said, okay, fine, just once. And it killed him. First time. 26 years old. Yeah. One time only. When he got the toxology report back, the toxology report is, said that he had the amount of alcohol that was in his system wasn't even that that would be in a sip of a drink. Okay. Um, the amount of cocaine in his system wasn't even enough for one line yeah. of coke, but the amount of fentanyl. That was in the system. They were cutting the coke with fentanyl. Yeah. He said the amount of fentanyl from doing that one line would have stopped his heart within 40 seconds of doing the line. Whoa. So but everyone else there doing it with him was survived. I don't know. They, they all survived, but I don't know what the scoop is, how he got the bad line out of it, I guess. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and that's the thing. It could be just something as simple as that. The way it was cut, just bad luck. Yeah. He got the line that had it in it. Yeah. It could have been dispersed throughout the coke and it would have been good, but it probably all settled in one area and he got that area where it was cut. Crazy. Whatever it is, it's 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 all just a big gamble nowadays because even I think I, I think even the dealers don't even know. Well that fentanyl is just so What's strong, right? Like I put a post up on my Facebook. I saw a meme online. It was an American penny and just this little dot 
right beside it. Yeah. White dot. A grain, like a grain of uh, salt. Yeah. Yeah. And it said that's a Enough. lethal dose of fentanyl. And it's it legal. Like. That's what I don't get. Like, I think uh, the stats were down in Florida that five people a day were dying from fentanyl. Five a day. Yeah. That is insane to me. And then you're not allowed to legalize mushrooms or psilocybin or, or marijuana. I mean, we're legal, uh, have legal marijuana here in no. uh, Canada yeah. now. And, and not that I'm promoting any drugs, but, um, you know, you have to be using your common sense in this. If a grain of salt-sized drug can kill you... And it's killing people. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not like it can. Yeah, it is. It is killing people. It is killing people. And it's crazy to me that um, that, that gets passed, it, because it was done by a pharmaceutical country, company. If that came out of South America, well, we'd be sending planes and troops down there to shut those guys down, which, Absolutely. which we've done. Um, but because they're a corporation, it's totally fine. Money and pharmacy. Yeah, I guess so. I don't want to get into that argument. <laughs> I don't want to get into it either. I don't either. Um, I want Let's to know, just retract that. Yeah, I want to know more about uh, hypnotism. So I'm I'm really ignorant in it. Um, my only experience with it was when uh, one of the times I tried to quit smoking, I went to a hypnotist, mm-hmm. and it was hokey as all get out. But I know that in any you know there's. Doctors that graduate with a C and some that graduate with an A, yep. right? There's just in every field you're going to get um, some not qualified people. Yes. I think I got one of those hypnotists. Okay. that uh, Or maybe I'm not hypnotizable. I don't know. Eric was uh, worried that when you came over, you're going to hypnotize me and make me do something. <laughs> 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 so I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're safe. Uh, no, not going to happen. Not going to happen. <laughs> but... Um, uh, when I start my shows, I always start with an explanation as to what it is and yeah. how it works. I, I think a lot of people fear it um, simply because they don't understand it. And it's common to fear what you don't understand, yeah. as well as you know what you see on TV, what you see in the movies, and then you hear horror stories of what other people have been made to do kind yeah. of thing. And, and you're messing with the human mind. Well, sort of. Here's the thing. A lot of people think hypnosis is a lot more than what it really actually is. Okay. Okay. There's no magic involved in it. There's no spell. There's no trance. You don't zombie out. No circle. None of that stuff. All hypnosis is, is just relaxation. That's Hmm. it. Okay. You are conscious and aware the entire time you're under. You know everything you're doing, you know everything that's going on in the room, you hear everything, you see everything, you are fully aware. Yeah. If you actually go to sleep, you went too far. Okay. Okay. I fell asleep. I had eight sessions and I probably fell asleep in four or five of them. Yeah. You went too far. You you actually went to sleep. Yeah. Um, basically where hypnosis lies, okay, we have two minds about us. We have the conscious mind. We have the subconscious mind. Right. And... The conscious mind is the mind that you control. You make conscious decisions. Yeah. Okay. The subconscious mind is the mind that controls you. Okay. Right. Um, For example, if I tell you right now, don't think of the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's there. It's there. (laughs) And that's your subconscious mind. Yeah. It's a reflex motor skill. It just, it it reacts reflex fast and that's why you can't control it because (laughs) it literally has a mind of its own that goes on reflex right and the number one reflex response is contradiction 
Okay. An opposite. Okay. So, and that's the way your subconscious mind reacts. You think yes, it'll think no, just because you thought yes, <laughs> just as a reflex response, but yeah. that fast, right? So this is why, for example, people have a tough time quitting smoking. The second they say, okay, you know what? I don't want that cigarette. Yes, you do. <laughs> that fast, right? Yeah. And the more you say no, the more it says yes, and it'll keep saying yes to your no till eventually it has you picking up that cigarette and smoking it against your will. Yeah. Okay. Now with hypnosis, it's just relaxation. It's the same thing as meditation. Okay. And uh, what we do is we just simply relax the body and the mind so that the subconscious mind is less aggressive. Okay. And when it's less aggressive, then we just add suggestion, not command, but suggestion. Yeah. Okay. And the reason why I state that is that's when people say, well, you're messing with people's mind. It's mind control and stuff like that. No, suggestion. Okay. People are still fully conscious and fully aware of what's going on. And at any point, and it's happened on my stage many a time, if they don't like it, they'll actually, I'm done. I'm out. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I am not doing that. Yeah. You know, I, I have a buddy that's a police officer who uh, I don't know what show he saw. Uh, I'm just remembering this story now. He got hypnotized on stage and he said he didn't remember any of it happening. He didn't, uh, you know, he sang or I can't remember what it was, but they got him to do something mm -hmm. and he did it. And uh, his wife was recording with the phone. He says he doesn't remember any of it. Okay. Um, some of that does happen, but it's, it's the same thing in the mind where you set your keys down, go do something, come back and where'd Damn I put it. my keys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the same thing. Okay. Same state of mind. So when you're not aware or, or driving somewhere and get your destination and you can't remember all the steps it took, what, did I already pass the church I always pass by? <laughs> did I pass that already? Uh, cause yeah, you're so yeah into it, right? Okay. I think the best analogy that I use for people to explain how hypnosis works, it's basically your imagination yeah. coming into the forefront through your subconscious mind. Okay. So your mind that controls you now takes your imagination and puts it in the forefront. Yeah. So you start believing in that imagination. I tell people at the end of my show that you can't remember anything you did on stage until you go to the washroom. <laughs> Halfway through going pee, there it is yeah. kind of thing, right? So, so do, you, do, you, do you watch the crowd coming in and go, okay, that's going to be a good uh, candidate, that's going to be a good, no, anyone's no. a good candidate? Um, see, and here's another thing. There's, there's a few things here that people don't realize about hypnosis. Um, some people sit back and say, I can't be hypnotized. Yeah. And then there's other people where my friends introduce me to them. Oh, this is Jamie. He's a hypnotist. Oh, don't look at my eyes. <laughs> oh, don't look at my eyes. You know, they, all of a sudden they don't want to talk to me or they're, they're <laughs> looking everywhere but at me kind of thing, right? They're avoiding eye contact. And the thing is, um, hypnotists, for one thing, don't have a power over you. Right. Okay. Um, we don't shoot lightning bolts out of our fingertips. We don't, you know, like come up to you, tug your arm, ha, boom. Or, yeah. you know, these things you see in movies. And they start, blah, 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 start talking about fast. And they say, oh. <laughs> and then you wake up and five hours seem to have gone by and what did I do kind of thing. That's just great fodder for TV shows. Uh -huh. But um, first off, all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. 
Okay. Everybody hypnotizes themselves. So you're just guiding them. A hypnotist is an instruction manual. Okay. We just tell you how to do it. Yeah. You're the one that does the actual hypnotizing. So it's your mind, either you allow it or not allow it to happen. Okay. Okay. Another thing, too, that people don't know or don't realize, they think that we're putting on a show or if you're coming into a session, we're doing something that's like witch doctor stuff. That's yeah. just, you know, like we're going to practice something here right now that's kind of voodoo yeah. and get you to a certain state of mind to get you to do something. Yeah. And uh, something that you shouldn't be able to do. And we're going to, through the manifest of hypnosis, <laughs> pull out this strength in your mind that's going to make you Superman or whatever, right? Yeah. And an untold abilities hidden in your brain. And what people don't realize is that hypnosis is not something that is conjured up. Yeah. Okay. Um, so to speak. All hi- hypnosis is actually a natural mind function. Yeah. The average person naturally goes through a state of hypnosis about once every 45 minutes that you're awake, you're hypnotized. But as I said, there's no feeling to it because you feel normal. You're aware of everything that's going on. You're not in a trance. So you just don't realize that you're hypnotized. But you go through a state of hypnosis once every 45 minutes that you're awake. A hypnotist is just someone that knows how to instigate that state of mind. So this has got to be very similar to what they're doing with advertising and commercials and radio and stuff Repetition, like that. all that, yeah, yeah. That you're, techniques in it. My wife is, everyone's heard me say this a thousand times, but you didn't know, so I'm saying it, that my wife's a holistic nutritionist and she talks yeah. about what we allow into our minds and mm-hmm. that when you watch TV, regular TV, and you get commercials, they have a real power over top over your mind that, mm-hmm. you know, you see that commercial enough times, they just know if we get to play this, 50 times in the next 60 days. It's in your head. It's in your head. And next time you're driving down the street and you see the Whopper, you're like, damn, I need a Whopper. Yeah. You don't even know why. Yeah. Um, but, Subliminal. Yeah. yeah. Basically. And so is that similar to what you're doing on stage is that you're just making suggestions when they're in, they're, they're in the right frame of mind? Exactly. We're, but, but it's not something that we're doing to condition them that for the rest of their lives. Unless, for example, they, like if you went to go for quitting smoking, yeah. that is a life-changing decision or, or suggestion that you're having a hypnotist do for you. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to use a technique that's going to, just like re- the t- TV commercials, a lot of repetition will repeat words over and over and over again in the session yeah. so that it burns in a lot of repetition and then your mind just keeps taking it in, taking it in that you don't want to smoke, you don't want to smoke, no smoking, no smoking. Yeah. And we keep it when your mind's at a weaker, less aggressive state and we just keep so repeating that in. Why, why does it not work then? Um, it's not a cure. Hypnosis is not a cure. It's just a tool to help. And a lot of times, like when people come up to me and ask me, can you, Hey, will you make me quit smoking? Uh, my first question to them is, are you quitting because you want to, or are you quitting because you feel you have to? Because yeah. they say you can't be hypnotized to do anything you wouldn't want to do yeah. kind of thing. We'll get into that. That's a whole other gray area, too. We'll talk about that. Okay. But um, there, so when you're, you're trying to tell someone to do something they wouldn't want to do, nowadays smoking is a whole different social norm than what it was 15, 20 years ago. Right. You can smoke everywhere yeah. 20 years ago. 
shopping well, malls. The doctor smoked in the hospital when I was born. Exactly. Granted, that was 46 years ago. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why airplanes to this day, even though you can't, but still have that no smoking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you think at this time them. they would just take that light out, you know, <laughs> but it's still up there because apparently 20 years later, people still go, what? We can't smoke on a plane. <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, um, Nowadays, when someone comes up and says, can you make me quit smoking? Yeah. A lot of the times, it's not because they want to quit. It's because, you know what? I can't smoke in my house anymore. I can't smoke in my car anymore because I've got a grandchild that's under 18 years old. Uh, I can't smoke in malls. I can't smoke in the bar. I, I got to go stand outside minus 30 weather to have a cigarette. Yeah. And now when I have a cigarette, the younger generation are walking around and going, turning their nose at me. And <laughs> you're the gross guy that smokes and yeah. you smell like smoke. Your house smells like smoke. Uh, so your car out of guilt or um, yeah they just they they still enjoy smoking but they can't they're they're in a corner yeah kind of thing so now it's like well i just might as well quit i can't enjoy it anymore but they still like it yeah they still enjoy having a cigarette but there's just no place to enjoy it yeah anymore and they're getting scorned by yeah. today's generation you know so it, it i here's a true story i had a lady uh, I was at a house party back when I first started out doing the hypnosis shows. And this girl comes up to me in the party and says, I hear you're a hypnotist. And I said, yeah, make me quit smoking. Yeah. Are you quitting because you want to or because you feel you have to? Well, I should probably quit. Well, then it's probably not going to work. Are you quitting because you feel you have to? You have to want to quit. Yeah. You have to be at that state where... Ugh, this is gross. I hate it, but it's the habit, the routine that I can't seem to break, but I just want to stop this. Yeah. That's the frame you need to be in. But if it's just, yeah, I, I should probably quit, you're going to light up again. That's, and that's I, why it didn't work for me. So she she sold me the wrong, or she probably shouldn't have sold me the package. She took your she, money. She just took my money. Yeah. She took your money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I told this girl, it's probably not going to work. She says, can you just try, please? So, <laughs> All right. So sat her down, did the suggestion, and I said, okay, what's the type of food that you can't stand? Yeah. And I didn't have, I didn't want to sit at this house party and do like a full hour and a half <laughs> session with this person. So uh, I said, what kind of food don't you like? She says, turnip. I cannot stand turnip. The smell of it, the taste of it, I'll puke. And I said, okay. So put her under, and I just said, okay, from now on, anytime you take a drag off a cigarette, it's going to taste like turnips, and it's going to smell like turnips. Hmm. One, two, three. Brought her out of it, and I said, oh, <laughs> take a drag off your cigarette. Yeah. And she took a drag off the cigarette and threw up in her mouth. <laughs> and swallowed it back down. Okay. That's awesome. And broke the cigarette. Turned out, whoa, it worked. Yeah. Said, All right. All right. And I walked away. An hour into an hour later, after that, she comes into the living room and says, "Hey, Jamie, yeah, she says, I never thought I'd see the day that I love turnips." <laughs> <laughs> that's too funny. That you know what? That's exactly what happened, or or why it didn't work on me it was that yeah. I wasn't letting on that information beforehand because if she had asked me that question, I would have said, "No, I like smoking," and I did. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I eventually quit, um, probably eight years after that happened. Um, and I do it strictly out of willpower now because I know it's not good for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to 
do it around my kids, everything else. So I just don't. But someone Got walks by, past me with a freshly lit smoke. I'm like, oh, that still smells good. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the reason why I don't do it because yeah. I know what my addictive behavior is like. Mm-hmm. It's it's not that I can have one every once in a while. Otherwise, I'd never quit smoking, right? Yeah. Um, if I could, if I could have one a week, there's no reason to quit. But yeah. I'm a pack a day or nothing. That's you know, and and whether it's smoking. Drinking, gambling, sex addiction, all these type of different addictions. Addiction is addiction. Yeah. And um, I told you that my in the when I was doing my stand up, that was my first fall from grace. Yeah. Okay. My second was the last one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, after six years of uh, sobriety from doing any drugs. Okay. Um. Then I got into doing the hypnosis shows, and that stuff is around the entertainment industry. Yeah. Like crazy, right? And um, all it took was having somebody from my past, when I used to do it, run into them and, hey, (laughs) want to hang out kind of thing, right? And... You know, me going, you know what, I don't do it, I don't do it, I haven't had an urge to do it, and now would have been about seven or eight years yeah. that I've been clean for at that point. And uh, and they said, you know, hey, old time's sake, so they were saying that they hadn't done it either, too, that they Uh-oh. got They were looking for too. an excuse to to get a bump in. It was, it was just one of those things where it was, uh, do you want to do it just for old time's sake? Just, <laughs> you know, we haven't seen each other, and that's what we used to do. You, yeah. want, you want to get some just for shits and giggles just for old time's sake yeah and i honestly thought in my head you know what i beat it yeah i've got control over it yeah so it's a you know dangerous what? path to be on uh, one line won't hurt me i'm pretty right. sure i can do a line and i'll be fine i got a grip on this now yeah i beat addiction already yeah and uh, one line became, you know what, that wasn't bad. <laughs> and started doing it more and more and then realizing, you know, hey, if you cook it, <laughs> it's even better, yeah. you know. And then uh, once you start cooking it, you don't ever go back to the soft stuff anymore. You're always, you know what, that's yeah. the stuff. That's the. So how long did it last that time? Until uh, five years ago. Until five years ago. So yeah. you had another big run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as I said, like as a functioning one, it wasn't like I was hardcore, hardcore, just bleh, you know, yeah. down to 90 pounds. And, you know, I, I still had a weight problem. I, <laughs> I still had, you know, to this day, I still do. Uh, yeah. You know, I was always a bit overweight. I, you know, I never lost any teeth or, you yeah. know, or anything like that. It was... It wasn't to that degree, but it was more than what it should be. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't stop. Yeah. I, 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 think I couldn't quit. When, when, so this was my story. When I got into it, um, I was dealing at the time um, back in Surrey. I knew yeah. bouncers and bar owners, and so they would let me in, and I supplied for them. And so it was really easy. I, like I was at such yeah. little risk of getting caught that uh, I could do it regular. And again, I had a regular job on top of it. I was doing drywall yep. and stuff like that. So I could go and rip her up. And because I was young, uh, no sleep, I could just show up to work the next day and push through the, the miserableness that it was mm-hmm. until the end of the day when I could do it again. And It's uh, that whole subculture. 
That is, yeah. Like um, most of the guys I know that were doing it weren't working, didn't have regular jobs, and you know didn't pay their bills. And I all go in the stuff. bars every night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I was good doing the bars or doing it at home or doing whatever. And so, anyways, I got a hold on me, and I was probably up to you know. I don't know, three grams a day or three and a half grams a day uh, on a pretty regular basis. Um, and then I realized it was getting way out of control, but I had I was 19 or 20 years old. Didn't really know how to get out or who to say, who to talk to. I mm-hmm. knew I had to create separation between me and the people I was doing it with. There was yep. no way to get away from that. So I ended up uh, moving back in with my parents and relying on booze. And so I was drinking bucket loads of mm-hmm. rye and beer and just everything. So I couldn't think about that craving that was in mm-hmm. front of me. And as long as I wasn't around, everybody, you know, got rid of the pager. Yeah, I had a pager. <laughs> <laughs> the younger generation might not even know what that is. But uh, I got rid of it. And uh, then I wasn't associating with them. And then I was able to kick it. And and I honestly haven't done it since. Like, I'm scared to death of cocaine. I think yeah. it would be... Uh, a very hard thing for most people to be functional on. The, the thing is, once you switch from coke to crack, is um, coke was always a social drug. Mm-hmm. It really, it really was. You know, at the bar, people to take turns going to the bathroom with the flap and okay, yeah, go. I got a line. Go, go. Yeah. Right. There was always that going on, um, and then after the bar closed. There was the after party at someone's house, and the CD case just got passed around the room all night until eight until the wee hours of the morning, till it was gone. Yeah, kind of thing. And it was gone throughout the night, but you kept uh, um, calling the dealer throughout the night, kind of thing. And oh, let's make another call. Everybody, pitch in, get another call <laughs> right. until the dealer's not answering their phone anymore. Right, pretty much. And then whatever that about was, that's when you're done. Yeah, and uh, but the the what made it more difficult for me to quit was a I had a hypnosis show that was one of the top acts in Western Canada. Yeah, I had a reputation. I had a professional. Do you, did you was it part of your show like in your head where like I needed to be high to have a good show? No, 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 not at all. In okay. fact, I I didn't want to do it when I was doing the show. Okay, it was always after the show. Yeah, but. Uh, what ends up happening is you start off with cocaine, doing it with your friends, and it's a social drug. And back in the 80s and in the, in the 90s, that was the clicky yep. drug to do. Yeah. Everybody that hung in the bars did coke. It was back then doing coke would be like someone nowadays going, I smoke weed. It, it was like, yeah, so what? You do coke. Everybody does coke. So what? Who hasn't yeah. done coke kind of thing? Yeah. And it was a very social thing. If you were in that bar subculture and kind of thing, that nightlife subculture, and um, but then it happens where someone says, "Hey, have you ever tried cooking it?" Mm-hmm. And it's that high you get from doing coke. It's intense and it hits you way faster, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Just like someone who does shrooms says, "You ever put it in tea?" <laughs> Kind yeah, of thing, right? uh, and and I've done lots of cocaine, and I know that feeling. I can't imagine that being ramped up. <laughs> okay, like exactly. That's, that's so so you try it, yeah, right. You and a bunch of friends, you try it, and you and, and exactly that happens. You take that first hit off that pipe, and you're just like, whoa, 
Yeah. This was hits you. Yeah. Wow. But Coke itself isn't a very uh, uh, long-lasting high. No. Okay. Crack is even shorter. Okay. Okay. And because well, that's it's unfortunate. more <laughs> But, you know, like Robin Williams once said, cocaine is God's way of letting you know you make too much money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, it's also because it hits you so intense, it's way more of an intense high, it's that much more addictive than Coke. For sure, yeah. You know, it it's full <laughs> throttle addictive because it's so intense and it's yeah. so, and wow, kind of thing. And because you go through it so fast, you got to get more. You got to get more, which means you're doing more and it's become, your body's Yeah, yeah. it'll start craving it like more. crazy. And the more addictive it becomes, then your social group starts to break down. Yeah, because then you get people that are doing. Uh, I just, I mine's not enough. I want some of his too. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you want to go check the door? Make sure the door's locked. I'm paranoid, man. Go check the door. Okay, go check the door. <laughs> Grab some of his rocks off his plate, kind of yeah. thing. And you come back to your plate and going, "Yeah, okay, I don't see him have as much as I have. I went to check the door. Who took it? I don't know what you're talking about, man. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. You know. And next thing you know, you become paranoid. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, everybody's trying to stay. And then it becomes that territorial kind of drug where it's like, okay, you know what? I don't want to do it with this guy anymore because this guy's ripping me off. This guy's stealing my drugs. So fuck it. I'm not going to have him over anytime. I'm not it, doing it. It's a punishment, right? The So anything that drives you away from the society is a punishment. So we, when you do something wrong, we're going to put you in a cage for... Mm-hmm. You know, whatever, 16 hours a day, and we'll let you out to eat and exercise and do a little bit of work and put you back in there. Yeah. And if you do something bad, we're going to separate you from that. We're going to put you in solitary confinement. We know that the answer to all the problems is more people. Mm-hmm. The right people, but more people. But the drugs and the society take us away from people. I, I basically became a loner, yeah, a hermit, when my son was away. I was by myself, and that was when I enjoyed doing it the best because I knew there was nobody that was going to be stealing it from me or because they were being an addict and, yeah. you know, junking out on me and stuff like that. And so it became a, a private lifestyle to yeah. by myself kind of thing. And then I got it all to myself kind right. of thing. Don't have to share. You don't have to have anyone bugging, hey, can you front me a little bit? Exactly. Because you know you're not getting that back <laughs> because from most people. they're just as addicted as you are. And, but they're, <laughs> right. you know. And uh, so it became a very solo thing. You're by yourself. You spend a lot of time by yourself. And when, on, on the road, after a show, when you're in that hotel room that's far from home and a lot of times it's small towns and crappy hotels, (laughs) you know? So, uh, by the time and, and you're, you, and, and just like how your wife was saying with commercials that you enough things, it programs your mind. And it's the same time type of thing where enough times being alone, the first place your mind goes to is get some drugs. Right. You're alone. There, there's no accountability if you don't have your group around you, right? We we run a, a health and wellness group on Sundays where we, we teach a group of people about being healthier and uh-huh. you know losing weight and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's the one thing that is super important is having accountability, like to be able to honestly, for my wife to look at me and go, are you really going to have another one of those? 
Uh-huh. And then I go, oh, yeah, no, 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 I won't have it. You know, I had a buddy that uh, ended up losing a bunch of weight because he texted me his food every day. When uh-huh. he ate, he told me what he ate. And he knew he was going to be honest with me, so he picked me. And he would, um, you know, before he put something in his mouth, he's like, do I want to text this to Chad? And uh-huh. that was his accountability enough where he just, like, put the candy away, put the cake away, put the chips away, because I don't have to tell Chad, because Chad's going to say, dude, you were doing so good. Why'd you do it? Yeah. Right? And I'm, I'm going to call him out every single time. So the more people you have around you that love you and care for you and want what's best for you, that's how you get away from, you know, the addictions, from the... Uh, well, the thing, though, with addiction is part of it, too, and I read this on... Uh, on a note out of Harvard University. And I, I was talking earlier, I, we never got into it. Uh, we got side... side <laughs> that happens. A lot. <laughs> we got so much to talk about here. <laughs> but um, there was a... I put a post up talking about my friend's scenario with his son. Right. And there was a lady that commented on it and said, people who dr- do drugs are just fucked up. Mm. They're people that have problems in their lives and they're dealing with problems and that's why they're doing drugs. And I messaged her back and I said, you're wrong. Right. Because the first time I ever did coke, I was an entertainer. I had fans. I had an entourage. I was... uh, You had the world by the balls. By the balls. I'd walk into nightclubs in Edmonton and no... Mr. Steele, come on in, or Jamie Pruden, the comedian, <laughs> come on in. You don't have to stand in the lineup, no cover charge. Yeah. And and I had people that were hanging out with me because they knew if they stood with me, eventually they got in, and- they got in, they'd get drinks bought for them, all this type of stuff. And um, it was an after party afterwards, and I'm on this. I've got a great life going on. I've right. got money. I've got friends. I've got well, popularity. The truth the Everyone's got problems. So does, it's but. saying that the people do drugs just because they have problems. I don't know a single person ever in my 46 years that doesn't have problems. Like, they all do. As good as your life was. Um, what about that athlete that did steroids? Not because they had problems, just, you know what, I want to get as yeah. fast as I can be, as fast as I can be. I want, yeah. This is a route, I think, would be a shorter route to do it and get there. <laughs> well, not, but they're not doing it because they're depressed. They're not doing it because dad beat them. They're not doing it because no. uh, mom left dad when I was five. They didn't do any of it because of that. They did it because, you know what, I want to get, I'm here, I want to get to there, and this will get me there faster Right, kind of thing. Or there's people that, that uh, my situation I was at a house party afterwards, and some guy was cutting lines of coke. I'd never seen coke before in my life. I'm yeah, like, is that coke? <laughs> I, actually, cocaine. <laughs> is that cocaine? <laughs> thing, right? And uh, he's like, "Yeah, you want to bump?" And I'm like, "Is it gonna fuck me up? <laughs> is it gonna like, screw with my mind?" Like, what? Yeah. Says, no, man. It's gonna feel like you drank about forty cups of coffee. <laughs> It's not far from the truth. Which is true. Yeah. And when I did that first line, it actually did nothing to me. Mm. Like, I couldn't feel any different. So well, try another one. Yeah. And the thing with addiction is you never know you're addicted until you try to stop. Right. And it's when you've tried to stop and realized, I can't stop. Right. That I'll just call one more time. Just just one more time. That's it. I'll just I'll do it one more time and then I'm I'm gonna be done with it. Yeah. And that's the same story over all and throughout over the night. Again. Yeah. Until you got no money left. Yeah. 
and or the dealer's done for the night, right. and you're like, oh, damn it, and then <laughs> you're crashing thing. hard and feeling like garbage, and yeah. But uh, so I told this lady this. I says when I did coke, it wasn't because I was depressed or that. I was at the top of my game. I had a great life going on. Yeah. No, I don't. De- I don't buy it. You had to have something going on in your life. <laughs> she says my best friend is a social worker, and she told me flat out, statistically speaking, with the, her clients, ninety percent of them are with mental health issues, and the other ten percent are from abuses that have happened to them in their lives in their past. And I said, well, it's because your friend's a social worker that she has those stats. Right. Look at what she's working around. Yeah. If you're dealing with a social worker, it's because you're having family problems. You're having, (laughs) your kids are getting ready to be taken away from you. You've got that kind of lifestyle going on. Yeah. Your friend, the social worker, doesn't deal with athletes, doesn't deal with someone that's got... uh, a terminal illness, that, or not terminal, but even just fibromyalgia. You know what? Right. Somebody said marijuana is going to be a good way to do it instead of using oxycodone and stuff like that. Where yeah. to, to your to your story that uh, one of the top uh, fighters in the UFC, he's one of the elite athletes in the world. John Jones is mm-hmm. uh, notorious for doing coke uh, um, at parties and you know getting out of hand. And he's he's a crazy dude. You have to be to be the top fighter in the world. But yep. the same token, he can do it, and then he can not do it. Yeah, and uh, you know he, he functioning functioning. He he's he's fine. It maybe is what drives him. Other than he has to be away for it long enough that it doesn't test while he's in the ring. Yeah, um, and and not be getting in car accidents and stuff like that. It's a whole other thing but yeah i disagree with her wholeheartedly that i think everyone's got problems and that's not what drives them the cocaine that's well that's not what when i looked up drugs. this uh, thing from harvard university and it really made a lot of sense too and 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 when she brought that up yeah when she made that comment and i disagreed with her i sat back and said to myself jamie you've dealt with addiction yeah you know what addiction feels like but have you ever researched what is addiction Hmm. you know if you're gonna argue with people if you want to talk about being addicted and help other people fighting with addiction you're gonna get people like this a lot yeah maybe you need to sit back and educate yourself as to why addiction happens and what exactly is addiction in our brains how does it why does it affect our brains like this so i researched it and one of the things i found was a a harvard university document on it and i i read this and basically what it explains in layman's terms I guess I'm not a very... <laughs> <laughs> We're not expecting the professor's yeah, uh, view exactly. on this. <laughs> it's not happening here. <laughs> I'm going to give you what I got out of it. Yeah. Is uh, when you're putting something chemical into your body, Yeah. there's certain things about that chemical that react with your brain. Yeah. And your brain takes control of it. It feeds a certain part of your brain so that whenever... It, basically, it, your brain starts telling you... Mm-hmm. Man, do you love this? Yeah. You freaking love this. And then to the point that even when you sit back and say, I don't want this anymore. I got to quit this. I got to stop. That brain says, you freaking love this. 
It's funny because in in uh, weight loss and health management and stuff like that, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. We have bacteria in our stomach that whichever ones we feed are the ones that control it. So if you mm-hmm. feed it Doritos, then those bacteria scream back to your brain, go get some damn Doritos exactly. or chocolate or whatever exactly. it is. You Sugar. have to starve those out and let them die down and you have to feed the good bacteria, the, the mm-hmm. carrots and the zucchinis and the... Um, but you have to do it over time so that that yes. starts to register up to here to a point that it's a collective. Right. Yeah. Where they're stronger than the old ones were, right? Yeah. So that thought process, the chemicals in the mind, the bacteria in the stomach, you just, and we talk about it all the time. You're not going to quit all your junk food. You're not going to quit mm-hmm. all of your booze. You're not going to quit. But just set a limit. So if you normally have two beers every day when you get home from work, then only do that six days a week. Mm-hmm. Or maybe switch it to one beer or something. Just take something away. Not all of it. Just take a little bit away and just wean yourself off of it. And then anything you take away, just add something good. You know, I'm sure, I, I don't know why, why it worked for me to quit the way I quit. Mm-hmm. Probably not the way I would suggest anyone else to do it because then I had to overcome the alcoholism that came along with quitting yeah. the, the cocaine. But I had to put something else in to overcome that feeling of the cocaine or the wine Absolutely. the cocaine. When, when I do quitting smoking sessions with people, one of the techniques I use, I explain to people that... When you condition yourself, it's a pattern, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, it's uh, it's like when you say fetch to a dog and fetch, fetch, or shake a paw, shake a paw. After a while, after conditioning it, that when you do this, you get a treat. Correct. Kind of thing. Yeah. So eventually, shake a paw, that dog knows, but yeah. where's the treat kind of thing, <laughs> right? He's conditioned to learn that. Pavlov's uh, rule, right? Right. Yeah. And and it's the same thing for uh, for smoking. It becomes a routine, and that's where it's difficult to quit because when you stop doing it, your mind keeps telling you, you should be doing something right now. This would be normally when you're smoking a cigarette. <laughs> right. You'd be smoking a cigarette right now. Smoke only cigarette, 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 cigarette. Yeah. Until, ah, uh, fired up again. <laughs> and... When I do quitting smoking with people, I tell them, I say, can you name me some things like uh, maybe something around the house you've been procrastinating on? Or I tell them, you know what, get one of those stress balls, a squeezy stress ball, something like that. And I would tell them because that's why when people try quitting smoking, next thing you know, they're gaining weight because they've compensated it by eating. There's take chocolate instead of cigarettes. Your 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 pattern for smoking is straight line. It's and that's that conditioning line, your programming line. You've done it in that straight line forever. That that's burned into your mind. Yeah. Never more than this minutes apart, and never less than these minutes apart. It's like a heartbeat. You know, little boop boop. Yeah. Exactly. Whatever that boop is, that's where it's like smoke, (laughs) smoke, (laughs) smoke, you know. So when you remove smoking out of the subconscious mind, yeah, say you don't smoke anymore, okay? So now what ends up happening is you don't have the boop anymore. You have a yeah, 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 a little blank spot in there. And your mind picks up on that. It's like stubbing your toe on a... Yeah. On something that's sticking up out of the ground. And your mind goes, oh, something used to be there. Yeah. And eventually you start smoking it because, oh, man, smoking, that's right. <laughs> or then they start eating in those patches. And now whenever you would like, oh, time for a smoke, it's like, oh, fridge, I'm yeah. hungry. You know, <laughs> those 
things in your stomach that send the signals up to your the brain. Bacteria. Now yeah. they're starting to go. You're hungry. Yeah. You're hungry, and you start developing an eating pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's probably Doritos or it's probably snacks of some sort because you don't want a meal. You just want something to cover that few minutes that you. You're yeah. doing something with your hands. That uh, rush of, uh, I want to say cortisol, but that's not the right word, the, um, the, the, the happy hormone that comes in. That's, mm-hmm. that's what your brain is looking for because yep. that's what the cigarette... That's exactly with addiction. Yeah. That happy hormone that sticks in there. And when, it, when I'm saying you really love this, it's, it's exactly that. Your brain kicks off a trigger when you think of that substance or that food or sex or porn or all these gambling anything yeah when you as soon as you think about it it triggers that part in your brain where all that stuff is collected in and your brain starts telling you you really like this but it also triggers off that emotion of total happiness it's like you know this is where i'm happy and you get all that and that's where it's tough to beat that addiction because your brain is sending you those signals oh yeah 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 you really like this, and oh, look how good it makes you feel. So how often are you doing this, like therapies with people to um, to get them over addictions? I'm not, actually, right now. Okay. I haven't yet. I talk about it on my Facebook. Yeah. I talk about it on social media. Um, one of the reasons I went public, I cleaned all my skeletons out of my closet, is because I've, for the longest, I spent years keeping it as a dirty secret because I thought it was going to ruin my career. I thought it was going to make, uh, lose a lot of friends out of this and everything like that. And then after I beat it, it was still a secret that I kept in there. Like I beat it. I'm not doing it anymore, but it still loomed over my shoulder as something that could threaten me. If someone ever found out, and there's some people out there that did know, and if they wanted to damage me, they could have done this. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take the bullets out of anybody's gun Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to take a lot of my own paranoia away and I'm just going to go, you know what, hey world, this is what I was doing. I'm sorry I did it, I beat it, and uh, but this is who I am now, that's who I was. Those of you that want to judge me for who I was, you're welcome to leave. Those of you that want to stick around and accept me for who I am, I appreciate it. Is it part of your show? Do you talk about it in your show at all? At the end of my show, I I have uh, five suggestions that I leave people with when they leave my stage. One is um, uh, responsibility with animals, with pets. Mm -hmm. Another one is about child abuse and one about drugs. And then... um, the first one's a wedgie whenever you get a high five. <laughs> and, uh, and then the fifth one is uh, boosting your self-esteem, your self-respect, your willpower, your drive to succeed, all these type of things. It's positive. Yeah. There's one fun one and then four positive suggestions. Awesome. And, uh, and you leave that with everybody you bring on stage. Yeah. And it's got to have an effect. It's theirs to take if they so choose. Yeah. I'm not about forcing people to do anything. I watched on America's Got Talent, there was a hypnotist that, uh, I can't remember his whole show, but what I do remember from it was, as he was doing it, and it was probably with the judges, the camera kept panning to the audience, and a couple people, like he'd be like, head down, and people would close their eyes, put their head down. Mm-hmm. But it was happening in the audience yep. as he was, do you see that in your show as well? I actually did a show for a school a couple of years back, and I had more people out in the audience than I did on stage. <laughs> I had about... Uh, 15 people on stage and I had about 18 people in the audience out yeah. in the aisles in their <laughs> chairs and everything. And the thing is the, um, 
I always you have ask. to be hyper aware while you're doing this then, right? Like no different than someone yeah. giving a speech and getting feedback. You'd be watching the audience to make sure no one's yeah. getting hurt or doing something Absolutely, silly. absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's one of the things when you were ta- talking earlier before we started the podcast, you were talking about uh, um, how you were doing it by yourself and mm-hmm. then having that. And I used to have a sound person with me. I, I do the show by myself now, and I've been thinking a lot about getting a sound person back with me again. Um, because A, um, time that I could be utilized entertaining the audience, I've now have to utilize in between sets going to my laptop and peeing in the next thing while talking to the audience and blah, 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 yeah. and, and get the next suggestion queued up and the sound ready for it and everything like that. And I'm doing that by myself now. Whereas if I had a sound tech doing that stuff, I can now focus more yeah. and tell some more jokes and ham it up and, you know, as well as we've got two sets of eyes. When my back is here facing them, I've got a set of eyes out in the audience. Or right. if I'm in the audience, I've got a set of eyes that's watching the people on stage kind of thing as yeah. well, too. And uh, just the, the quality. And every show has to grow and change and evolve mm-hmm. as you're going through it. But I know just the last four or five shows I've had Eric uh, producing for me and just overseeing things. We've had a couple of rough startups, but overall the show mm-hmm. quality has become much much better and yep. as he gets better then that allows he's doing me, an awesome job he's he's very good he's uh, a self-proclaimed is it a nerd or a geek I don't know yeah <laughs> it's not a, anyways he knows we live his, in the age of nerds <laughs> he knows his stuff inside and out so he's uh, he's excellent at everything that he does um, but yeah you you um uh, it's important to have the right people around you so that you can grow right yeah we always want to do a lot of stuff ourselves i think that uh, people that are driven is like i got this i got it i got it and uh i think that that can be um self-sabotaging in some way where you know i know this is probably more personal than people need to know but in in my life with my wife i took care of the finances and i didn't do a very good job of it for a long mm-hmm. time and i just as the man the household i thought that that was my job and and my wife came to me and saw where we were at and she's like can can i help you with this and i'm like i don't know like i just didn't know how to deal with it and mm-hmm. she's like how about you let me have it for a while I said, okay, you're in charge. And then uh, it just turns out she's way better at it than I yep. am. And, you know, controlling everything and investing and all that. She's just, mm-hmm. and right away I went, why, why was I fighting to do this all by myself? I have this great person with me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had my son in the house and I, here I am producing all by myself. And like, what are you, are you crazy? Yeah. Utilize the people around you. Give them opportunity. Absolutely, and- absolutely. What I did also too by going public First thing I did first and foremost was sat my son down and told my son. He had no idea? No. How old was he? Um, well, this would have been five years ago that I stopped. He's 17 now, so he would have been 12 around that time. Mm-hmm. But I was. it was a couple of years after I had stopped before I finally got, decided, you know what, I can't live with this paranoia. Like, even though I've quit. Yeah. I just don't like this weight on my shoulder still. That the, I want drugs completely out of my life. And as long as I'm still paranoid that someone's going to find out that I used to do it, then drugs are still technically a part of my life. And they're controlling exactly. a, a space in your mind. Right. And, um, and, and also, too, my art was really starting to take off. Awesome. And so 
I was really getting worried that this paranoia of that skeleton in my closet coming back to haunt me. Yeah. You know, if things went really good with my art and everything. And so I sat my son down and, and said, okay, I got something I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. And I told him the truth and everything that was going on over the past. And uh, he was the first person I wanted to tell, simply because I knew if I was going to go public and if there was anybody that just wanted to be spiteful and wanted to get at me through my son or anything like that. You needed to nip that in the bud. Exactly. You know, and I, and, and just telling them, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell people about this. I'm going to become open about this, but I needed you not to be blindsided by this. Yeah. You know, and he was upset for, you know, obviously. And, um, but he, he forgave me. He, you know, like, you know, you don't do it anymore. I said, no, I don't want to. And he says, okay, well, if you ever do it again, I'm gone. Yeah. And you'd never have That's that. That's a reaction that you would get out of a 13-year-old or 12-year-old for yeah. sure. Yeah. And uh, so then I went public with it. And my choice to go public with it was to root out. I wanted to get anything that was toxic mm-hmm. in my life out of my life. Yeah. Uh, whether it's people, situations, cam- anything. I wanted to get anything toxic out of my life and just basically take my life like an etch-a-sketch and just shake it loose. Start from square one. Beautiful. You know, and, and living a lifestyle where I don't have to make excuses for anything. I don't have to lie about anything um, because addiction comes lies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just, I just didn't want to have that kind of lifestyle anymore. I wanted to be around people that were like that, mm-hmm. and I, I was really focusing with my art. I was really getting into that creative world, mm-hmm. you know, and just expressing myself in art and and everything like that. And I wanted to surround myself with the same type of people, yeah, and same mind, same. You know, and therefore, if I wanted to put drugs behind me, I wanted to be surrounded by people that were also willing to let me put my drugs behind me and not bring that up to my face. If I want to bring it up, I'll bring it up. Yeah. And I'm not bringing it up again to, oh, feel pity for me. I was an addict or anything. I'm bringing it up because I think there's a lot of people out there that went through the same thing as me. Yeah. I've got to keep this secret. And that keeping it secret is just such a... A secret's Pit. a lie. That's the truth of it. And every secret people that have pockets full of secrets have pockets full of lies. Right. I, I agree wholeheartedly, and that's why I'm so honest about everything. <laughs> but it's also that honesty that allowed me to get better at stuff. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Jordan Peterson. I have the book up there because I. It's not a bible to me. It, it's got so much good information mm-hmm. inside of it. It's it's unbelievable. But he says when you lie you will treat you like a liar. Yep. And so you don't even believe anything you say. So when you go, oh, I'm going to quit doing coke, and then you don't, well, now you're a liar. Yep. And then next time you say it, you're less believable, mm-hmm. right? You're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you're going to say it, but you're not going to do it. And you know, you can do that to your family members and to your friends mm-hmm. and all that. And they're like, ah, Jamie, you know what? He's full of crap. You know he's just yeah. going to quit. He's yep. not going to quit. And now you just have more people feeding into that negative part of you, right? Where yep. when you tell the truth and you... Um, stick to what the truth is, or at least you go, hang on, it didn't work this time. I'm back on track. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're, and you're you're constantly admitting your lies and then trying to reverse them. Um, then you're an people honest person. To, but, but people, if you keep coming back to lies and, and then coming back on, okay, okay, 
people are going to lose faith. Yeah. Um, I went totally public on my social media because I wanted to show other people out there that I know how you feel keeping these secrets and what a burden it is. And you don't want to keep these secrets. You want to, but you're scared. You're scared that it's going to kill you. It's going to take away your, your, your work, your, you know, uh, your reputation, all this type of stuff. And so I went public and I did lose people Mm -hmm. from it, but the people that stayed and their comments People could see that. So, and when I, for example, when I posted that that song, Hope, it's amazing how many people in the comments went. I I tried once too, yeah. you know. And you get, you know, and when I post things about addiction, it's amazing how many people will private message me and go, Hey, mm-hmm. can you? I I could use some help. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, I don't want to say it out publicly, but I saw what you're battling too, and I trust you. Mm-hmm. You know, can you help me? Yeah. And it's people you would never expect, just like with me. Yeah. The thing that finally got me to kick it was uh this like you said, positive people surrounding yourself with positive people and positive influences and but um becoming an influence to people. Absolutely. You know, to to become someone to speak about it. Be so open about it and speak out about it. Help me beat it, right? Kind of a thing. But um, it, I, I actually pretty much quit cold turkey, which was I spent years fighting it, trying to beat it, and couldn't beat it. And then cold turkey one day it was like done. So what was going through your mind at that time when you went? I'm, I'm not doing it. Was it a, a bad night? Was it a bad morning? Was it? My mom was terminal. Okay. Um, and it happened really fast. Um, my mom and my dad went in 2013, well, 2012, November of 2012, they went down to Nashville and we have a cousin that lives down there and, uh, they were staying with her over Christmas. So they went down there for three months and they came back in end of January of 2013. And when they got back, uh, about a week after they got back, my mom and my dad had company over and they were talking about three months down in Nashville and everything. And my mom couldn't remember any of it. Hmm. And so my dad got panicked. My mom was starting, her hand was starting to curl up. Um, her speech was starting to slur. And uh, my mom was a very boisterous woman. Yeah. And uh, How old was she at the time? 65. Okay. 66. Yeah, 66. And uh, she, uh, so my dad called a family meeting, like, everybody come home. Um, there's something going on with, with with your mom. And so we took her to the hospital thinking, okay, maybe she's going through a stroke or something like that. And she was a heavy smoker. Mm-hmm. And um, so they did a, a CT scan on her, and they found a softball-sized tumor on the right side of her brain. Wow. And it had already destroyed 50% of her cognitive. So wow. the only thing she could do is speak three words at a time. Yeah. And it was just repeating the last three words that you said. Okay. If you gave, I, I, the, the day, the morning that we went to the doctors, I picked up McDonald's drive-thru on the way over to my parents' house and gave her a uh, egg McMuffin. Yeah. 
we went into the doctor's office and then like three hours later we we're back home and I was like, Mom, what'd you have for breakfast? Couldn't even tell you. Yeah. What did the doctor say is wrong? Couldn't tell you. Wow. Even though it just happened, right? Yeah. Um, and also there's things like if she was trying to tell my dad, you know, don't forget your jacket on the back of the chair. But from here to here wasn't happening, yeah. right? So anyways, it uh, it happened really fast. She lost all her cognitive. And so this was uh, mid-February that we found out that she had this tumor. And then she had a seizure one night at 3 in the morning, and she broke her foot mm-hmm. in this seizure. We took her to the hospital, and they did a full-body CT scan, and they found that because they, they scheduled surgery for her to do a biopsy and see if we can get this tumor because they didn't know it was cancerous or not. Yeah. Or if it was cancerous, maybe we can deal with just this tumor if that's where it's at. But when they did the full body CT scan, they found it in her lungs. They found it in her abdominal area. Wow. And it was everywhere. So now it was quality of life rather than quantity of life, as doctors like to put it. Yeah. And uh, she, was, she passed away mid-April. Okay. So it, between February and April. Wow. Boom, right? Yeah. So when she went into hospice, and it's a very emotional thing when something like that happens. And nobody really gets what cancer is until you're in a hospice with a f- close member yeah. doing the 24-hour vigil, yeah. vigil kind of thing, right? And uh, so we were at the general hospital in Edmonton at the hospice there. And there was other families in other rooms, but they also have that main area with tables. So you can come out of the room and just sit at these tables, play crib or read a book or whatnot. And uh, I had about 20 or 30 pencil drawings Mm -hmm. at home that I'd started and never finished. I got a whole thing about my art, how that started out. I had a ton of stories. <laughs> yeah. We're definitely going to have to have you back because I don't even think we're um, skimming the surface right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I decided I was going to finish these drawings. I'm just going to really quickly tell you how my drawing thingy came about just sure. because it plays into this okay. kind of thing. Um, I was never great at school. Uh, I've never got along with teachers right from day one. And uh, in grade two, I was seven years old. I traced a picture of a puppy out of a coloring book. Yeah. And I went up to my teacher when the class was all doing arts and crafts or whatever. And, you know, I just tapped her and said, hey, I drew this for you. You know, mm-hmm. I just wanted this teacher to like me. And uh, she took the picture and she took me up to the front of the class, got the whole class's attention, and held it up and said, Jamie just gave me this, and he said he drew this for me. This is not drawing. This is tracing. That's a jerk thing to do to a kid. He gave me the picture back <laughs> and walked away, oh, leaving me standing at the front of the class. kicked that woman in the face. With everybody <laughs> laughing at me and everything, right? Oh. And uh, so I went home upset. (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty upset by that. Yeah. And uh, so that night, (laughs) it was really bugging me. That night, I had this dream. And this was at seven years old. I grasped the concept of, instead of drawing in shapes and side views, 
full front and drawing in texture mm -hmm. and in detail. Yeah. And I had this dream that I drew. I don't know if you remember Husk Puppy Shoes. Yep. They used to have that big basset hound as the mascot. Right. And I had a dream that I was drawing that dog, all the details in those bloodshot eyes and everything. And just so detailed. And I was doing it all. How it looked like light was hitting the eyes and the eyes looked wet. And yeah. All the little lines that showed wetness and light and everything in the, in all the different circles that make up the dog's nose and how some of those circles were lighter than some of the other circles. Yeah. And uh, the next morning, the dream was so vivid. I drew that dog at the breakfast table. I drew it. Unbelievable. So now I'm going back to school going... Yeah. Oh man, I got something to show In people. Oh man, I can't wait to show people what I can do. Yeah. This is awesome. I didn't have a lot of friends in high school. I was a loner kind of kid. So this was just that, yeah, now they'll like me. Yeah. And uh then Easter came along and nobody gave a shit about the the drawing and stuff. It was <laughs> it was just, you know, because I'm drawing superheroes and monsters and stuff like that. And there's like yeah. weirdo. You know, hey, do my title page for me here <laughs> kind of thing you're such a good artist do yeah. my do my cover page for me but uh then easter and i was in a catholic school easter came around and we were all came to class to find this piece of paper on our desk with a little border on it and the teacher said we want you all to draw a picture about easter and we're going to put it up in the local mall nice so all these kids are drawing these ovals with lines and stripes easter eggs kind yeah. of things and i thought I'm going to pull it out here. <laughs> I drew Christ on the cross yeah. with the thorns and the nails and the blood coming down the arms. And the, I know and, where this and, is going. And not that typical picture right. of Christ, but that painful. I'm being tortured and right. painful death. And I drew that. And it all got turned in. And that weekend, we all, like all the families, all went to Metal Ark Mall <laughs> before West Edmonton Mall. <laughs> And all these pictures were up all over the mall. And we went up and down that mall. All Easter eggs, not one single picture of Christ. Not one. Not wow. even another other kid tried doing Christ or anything like that. And so Monday, when I got back to school, I was going to ask my teacher, how come my picture didn't get up kind yeah. of thing. You know, and I, it, it, was, it was art, yeah, yeah. you know. And uh, instead, I was called to the office, and here's my mom in the office with the principal and my teacher, and discussing whether or not I need to see a child counselor about uh, the violence I have going on in my head. Did, had they read the Bible? Because it was pretty violent. Like your That's, your interpretation probably was wasn't even what as... that teacher taught me happened to Christ. Right. Right. <laughs> so from that point on, I put my art. On the back burner. No, no, no. I still drew every single day, but oh, okay. I kept it to myself. Yeah. I never, ever. I love your art, by the way. People. I've seen some of the stuff you oh, posted. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I never shared it with anybody and until that day in the hospice. Yeah. So 40 years, I kept it to myself. Yeah. I did it every day. I worked at it. It was my vent, my release. Yeah. Um, I didn't do it so much when I was getting high. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of takes the creativity out of people. Cocaine it, does. Well, it just takes the motivation out of people. Yeah. And, uh, so I had all these drawings that I've done over the years, but never finished. 
And I figured, okay, this is what I'm going to do to take my mind off of what's going on with my mom in that room. Yeah. I'm going to sit out in the common area with these drawings. I'm going to finish each and every one of those drawings. going to finish them. Yeah. So as I was working on these drawings, some other guy who had a family member that was terminal bided his time by watching me bide my time. <laughs> so he'd sit there and watch me do these drawings. And yeah, we got on the topic of like, how long you've been drawing for? And well, I keep it to myself kind of thing. And he's like, no, you got to put this stuff out there. Yeah. You got to let people see this. You need to let people see this. That's what art is about. I agree. And so I posted them up on Facebook. Yeah. And in all the years that I've gotten negative from people, I put these out on Facebook and because I changed my life around and was focusing on putting positive people in my life, I was getting all this positive feedback on these drawings. And when's your next one? Are you going to draw another <laughs> one? Show us what you got. I can't wait to see the next thing you draw. And stuff. So just started snowballing, drawing, drawing. And then I sent the mail into Heavy Metal Magazine. Yeah. And, um, but the whole, but getting back to what we're talking about, um, the whole focusing with surrounding myself with people mm -hmm. and people being positive, people didn't know at this point that I had a drug addict, uh, drug problem. I hadn't gone public at this point yet. That was still a couple had years you, away. Had you stopped? I had stopped. Okay. I, well, but No. This was the verge of stopping. Okay. This was where the cold turkey moment hit. Yeah. Was because there were times at my mom's when I was doing the 24-hour, I'm going to wash him and go down to my car in the parking lot and fire off a hit. Yeah. Right? And uh, it was that moment that that guy said, you need to go public with this. And when I went public with it and all these people started saying, draw more, draw more. Now when I was alone, instead of the thought of call your dealer, yeah, it was draw this. Nice. It, oh. it filled in that heartbeat. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Draw this. <laughs> oh, wait. You gotta draw this. Yeah. You know, and then creativity is like a snowball. Yeah. You know, once you start it rolling down that hill. It grows and grows and grows and grows. And that was the very reason why I had 20 unfinished pictures is because I'd start on one. And as I'm drawing this, oh, 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 you got this. You got to start on this. Put that one on hold. You got to start this one so you don't forget. Yeah. And next thing you know, you got 20 drawings going that you've started because <laughs> you're creative mind. And that's what I needed. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden now, drugs wasn't even in my head. Yeah. I'm, I'm up at four o'clock in the morning. The power oh, of love, the the um, positive feedback people, you got from people was so strong. I can't wait to show them this next drawing. They're going to, you know, and then I'd show yeah. it. And, oh, Jamie, wow. Okay. And then next thing you know, I've got people messaging me going, can you draw me this? And they're at commissions and stuff. People are asking me Beautiful. to draw things for them and stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it became, art became literally a 24-hour thing. Yeah. You Another know? addiction, but a good addiction. Yeah, but it, it was my food out of the fridge to compensate for not smoking. Yeah, so to speak. That's so cool. I I, I don't know. As you're talking, I've got a million questions inside my head. I, I mm -hmm. hate interrupting your stories. No, no, go ahead. Um, the 
one of the things that I think fascinates me most about hypnotists and about uh, professional entertainers is this ability to control a crowd. To to um, you know, Hitler was a great speaker. He controlled mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of people because of the way he spoke. Because what he was charismatic. Saying, what he was saying didn't make sense at all. Like we're going to kill all the Jews. What? But because of how he said it, he convinced enough people. Mm-hmm. And, and I know there was a bunch of build and other stuff and threats and that that happened in there. But you see, there was Dr. Jordan Peterson and comics and singers and um, even artists. I, I'll, cult I'll, leaders. I'll, cult leaders. But I'll look at a piece of art and it'll mesmerize me. Like I'll just be <laughs> dumbfounded. Like there's a beautiful woman in front of me just at that person's interpretation, the um, uh, wizard behind yep. you there. I, I look at those eyes and that face and the beard and, and I literally get captivated by it. I, I And I don't know what does it. I don't understand why. Um, you know, the the speakers, you go and you can control an audience for, you know, however big, you know, 50, 60, 120 people, whatever it is, you can control these people's thought processes and their, um, you know, you can take them down all these rabbit trails very, very easily. And I know some of it is like, well, we're paying to get taken down a rabbit trail, right? Uh-huh. You go see, um, Whatever Tim Nutt, the the comic, um, I know Tim. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've stalked him on Facebook for a while. So next time he's town, I think he's coming on the podcast. But <laughs> it's more of a an annoyance probably to get rid of me. But anyways, you know, you go to see Tim Nutt because you want to be taken on this this funny journey, right? Yeah, that's part of it. But not everyone has that ability. And I was wondering if you could speak into what that is or what mindset you're at to to be able to do that i think doing stand-up comedy was one of the greatest learning tools i could ever have in life Mm -hmm. and that is and and i've had people come up to me going man i've been thinking about being a stand-up comedian i don't know i'm a little scared of doing it and i always tell them it's a cutthroat business Mm -hmm. it really is a cutthroat business but do it yeah do it for the experience because if there's one thing stand-up will teach you, it'll teach you to conquer your fears. Yeah. It'll teach you to stand up in front of a room full of strangers and be open. Yeah. You know, because a true comedian, well, no, I can't say a true comedian. I'm just saying a, 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 one of the most popular styles of comedy are the storytellers. Right. The comedians that, that go, the Kevin Hart's out there, the, I hate to say it, but Bill Cosby. Yeah. You know, back in the he day. He was a great storyteller. He was a great storyteller. You know, um, bad date, but good storyteller. That's <laughs> <laughs> true, too. But, uh, but, but would captivate people into stories. Yeah. You know, and to me, those were the great um, comedians because a lot of times they're basing a lot of these stories off of their past truths truths in their families and stuff in their lives and they just add comedic anecdotes to the story to make it entertaining but um, the process of controlling or how an audience goes okay it's like painting a picture Mm -hmm. you know I do fantasy art and when I'm creating fantasy art we want to create something that people are going to lose themselves into right you know um 
And that's the same thing as doing stand-up comedy. It's the same thing as writing and singing music in front of a crowd. Uh, you know, especially musicians, to get that person to not even ask someone to dance, but to go by, they love the music so much that they just stand up where they are. It's like and they can't control their movements. Dance like no one's watching right. kind of thing, right? Yeah. And when you can write something that makes something somebody do something like that, yeah. you know? And uh, and that's the same thing with, with stand-up comedy, with all kinds of, enter- of, 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 of entertainment. Um People love to use their imaginations. Yeah. They may not be the one to get out there and show people their imaginations, but they love being swept away into it. Yeah. You know? Um, And so when someone goes to a comedy club, they know they're going out for a night to laugh. I mean, when I get hecklers, or (laughs) I used to get hecklers, or I get that person in the audience that's just, you know, and it's like... (laughs) <laughs> is that why you came to a comedy club? Like this, yeah. you, you, you know, your date said, "Let's go watch comedy." And you went, "Yeah, screw those guys." Right? <laughs> I don't feel like laughing. Let's go to a comedy club. Kind I, of I thing, started right? stopped inviting a buddy of mine, the the, the old co host I had on the show for yeah. that reason, because he just stands there staring at them. I'm like, dude, this is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do it anymore. But the comedy too, it teaches people. Um, like when I tell people that get into it and do it, it's cutthroat, but man, you learn from it. You got to bomb. Yeah. You got to, you, you need to have that night where it sucks. Yeah. So that you know that feeling, but it toughens your skin. It thickens your skin so that when you leave, you evaluate it and you go back and do it again. It's like wiping out on your bike. You don't, uh. You don't you go, well, I'm never up. riding a bike again. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's not for me. Yeah, exactly. Get back up there and do it again, man. Yeah. And bomb again if you can. <laughs> bomb. In fact, go out there and try and bomb. There's guys that make careers and they actually get funnier when they're trying to bomb, mm-hmm. right? They say we the used to do that. Yeah, you say the stupidest things and see if you can get And well, that's the thing that gets the laugh. Exactly. And I'm going to put that in my act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I there was a bunch of us that used to have bets going. I bet you I can bomb better than you. <laughs> okay, let's, let's it's, we're having a suck night. Let's see who can suck the most. And we we put twenty bucks each down on the table and wow. and go out there and just purposely do the crappiest show you can. Cheesy I, jokes, everything. Yeah, the dad jokes, right? Yeah, yeah, all this stuff. And 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 it and it ends up being a really entertaining night. Yeah. And that, and by the second comedian in, the audience has caught on to what we're doing. They're seeing this because half the time we, we tell a joke and it's just dead in the audience, but there's four, four comedians guys. in the back <laughs> going, ah! <laughs> yeah. just killing themselves. So are so, you are you still doing your show right now? I still do the hypnosis show. I have I don't do stand up. I do I incorporate stand up into my show. Okay. How often are you doing your show? Every, just about every weekend. Are you down in Calgary at all? I haven't been in Calgary. Most most of the stuff that I'm doing now is corporate. Okay. Do a lot of corporate stuff, very few bar stuff. The whole bar life has changed yeah. over the past 10 years. It, There's very few places that you can go and do a comic. Or... Uh, live entertainment. Edmonton's getting a good comedy. Comedy's starting to get a, a restart again, a reboot. But yeah. um, 
the laugh shop here in town, I think, is building it in Calgary here a little yep. bit. We try to get out there as often as we can. Um, you know, there's big names like Brian Callen and Joe Rogan and mm-hmm. Theo Vaughn and those guys that are coming through town now. So there is some of or somewhat of a show, but we need more venues doing it. It's probably yeah. just not financially uh, beneficial to anyone to, you know, what are you going to open a bar Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's, that's yeah, the thing it's, with it's, comedy. It's, People it's, aren't going five days a week or seven no, days a not, week. No, it's not like it used to be. No. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm still doing it, uh, it, but it's mostly corporate. It's mostly okay. corporate. Well, if you're in Calgary, let me know. I want to come see your show. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's that? Well, hopefully it's a under eighteen club, but I'm guessing you'll there's have to a wait there's a, few a bunch years. of stuff on on YouTube if you if you go on YouTube and search Sebastian Steele. Okay, and there's a bunch of clips from my show Beautiful. on there. I actually posted one. Somebody shared it on my Facebook today of a guy. I've got a guy giving birth. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That'd be brilliant to watch. Um, what else? Were you, you wanted to tell me a story about using Twitch. Yeah. So, have you ever used Twitch, or have you heard I have, of Twitch? I, it's. I think it's uh, basically a streamer's um, software, right? Well, Twitch started out as a gaming site, live streaming gaming yeah. for gamers to watch people playing video games and stuff like that. And it got so popular, it got bought out by I don't know who, but whoever bought it out kept it as a gaming site, but added on a creative site to it. So okay. now you can go on to. Sorry. Jeff Bezos bought it, the owner of uh, Amazon. Yeah. Owner of Amazon bought it, okay. So they added a whole creative text to it, so now people can go on and they're doing cooking shows, they're doing hmm. um, and artists, all this type of stuff. And the thing about Twitch, though, it might be something you might be interested in, um, is, uh, and you use the same setup as you have here. Yeah. It's all the exact same. And... Um, with YouTube, for example, if you had a YouTube channel. We do. Okay. Uh, I believe you have to get something like 200,000 followers before YouTube says, hey, let's work out a deal. Yeah, it's and a pile. Start making money. Other than Amazon affiliates and stuff like that, you can make a little bit of money off those. But yeah, if you don't have the followers, you got nothing. Exactly. And uh, and a lot of times, too, you're just getting 50% of the advertising banners. And if someone clicks no on the video, on the advertising, you get nothing right. kind of thing. With Twitch, it's free for everybody to watch, mm-hmm. but you can sell subscriptions to your channel. Oops, I keep hitting them. <laughs> you, can get, you can sell subscriptions to your channel for five bucks a, a subscription. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, and the thing with it is... Uh, why, why would someone spend five bucks if they can watch it for free? Yeah. So, for example, when I'm doing a, a live painting thing, basically Bob Ross kind of thing on Twitch, watch me paint kind of thing, where I do this kind of setup, and yep. what you're seeing on the screen there is my laptop screen, and I'm doing my digital work and stuff like that. Cool. And uh, so um, I would do a thing where at the end of the month, I'm going to do a draw and give away a free 16 by 20 print. Nice, but you have to be a, a subscriber. Subscriber, yeah. To enter, have your name entered into the draw. Okay. For five bucks a month, you know, and what's five bucks a month? And it just people gets, spend more on six forty nine and uh, get nothing. Exactly, <laughs> with less than a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, you know, and uh, so we would have these people that would enter the draws would would subscribe. Now with Twitch, 
all it takes is, I believe, 75 regular viewers watching your show. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you get 50% of your subscription fees, right? As well as they have a cash jar as well, a tip jar. So while you're watching, and you get 100% of that. Yeah. And that starts right from day one, regardless of how many viewers you got. Does it have to be live or you can just upload like no, no, record it's live. on OBS? And... It, it's live. Okay. It's live. And uh, so when you're doing it live, there's also a chat feed. So people can also talk with you and you can talk with them and all this type of stuff. So what we had going on was um, uh, the the art of conversation was the name of our show. I love it. And there was... There was the there was myself and I had an entertainer friend of mine, Tim Becker, who was a local pub musician that played at the Sherlock Holmes and stuff in the city, mm-hmm. and a very talented guy. And so he would bring in his keyboards or his guitar, and then we would have a guest on the couch. So it was kind of like Bob Bob Ross meets Wayne's World in a way, <laughs> kind of thing, right? And so we'd That's have awesome. Tim playing music. We'd have guests on the show. We've had mediums on the show that would do online readings. I got one coming this Friday. I got some I can suggest for you too as well. But um, so it was just always it, it kind of like what you've got going on here, just a bit of music in it and everything yeah. like that. Had a co-host as well like you used to have. And, yeah. and uh but it, and the unfortunate thing was we couldn't do it on a regular basis, and that's the thing that makes it work is you have to it's be a challenge, I'll tell systematic. You. It has to be that same night, same hours kind of thing, and it has to have that routine to it yeah. so that you get that you build up that audience kind of thing. Yeah. You know, no different than network TV, there, right? The only reason they watch is because it's every Wednesday at 6 o'clock. There's a girl in Calgary that does body painting, mm-hmm. and you can't show any nudity. Right. That's the one thing that they have is zero policy on nudity. So Yeah. No one wants to see me no naked cleavage, anyways. no cleavage, no cleavage, okay. oops. Anything. <laughs> Good day. But uh, I'm sorry if you listeners out there if that's just making you go, Oh knock it off on the mic, man. But uh and she does body painting and she makes like four grand a month on Twitch. Wow. There's a lady... Maybe uh, I'm barking up the wrong tree. There's a... The guy showed me... What sold me on it, he goes, I'm going to show you something here, and this is on Twitch. And he goes, you got to keep in mind, on the average day, there's six billion people (laughs) using the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Okay? That's crazy, eh? Six billion people, at least daily, at any given time, surfing the net. Right? And... So he goes on to, and this was two years ago, he goes on to Twitch and he goes on to the gaming page and he pulls up some guy playing that Arnold Schwarzenegger war, that first strike or air, whatever it's called. Yeah, first strike, I think. And he's playing that game and he goes, now check this out. This is live right now. He's playing this live. He goes, look how many people right now, right this moment, are watching him play this video game. Yeah. And there was more people watching him at that moment than Super Bowl. No way. He had more viewers than Super Bowl. 
I think network TV and, well, we know with sports, most of it is going to subscription now. Like, so yeah. UFC and football, you can just buy a subscription and get everything you want to see now, mm-hmm. um, which I, I like. I like that it's on demand. Anytime you want, you can go and see it. Um, you know, same with YouTube, that it's it's always up, right? Yeah. If anyone wants to see past episodes, they just go and download it and, and watch. It's well, brilliant. And with Twitch, they keep your, for two weeks, they keep your, your video up. Well, okay. So it goes up for two weeks. Yeah. Kind of thing. And um, I would have the same challenge, though. Like, so, like, you're here and it's uh, Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. I don't know when my guests are coming in to get everyone to commit to Wednesday night or Saturday afternoon or whenever it is. Yeah. It's difficult to do. And that's what I liked about OBS and uh, YouTube is I can record it. I can and upload it, it up. another day. And so we do our, all of our uploads on yeah. Thursday. Uh, we have a busy Thursday anyway, so I couldn't. I don't know why I chose Thursday anyways, but I I think that it's a bad idea to switch days. Um, but either way, it is what it is. We're doing it yeah. Thursdays. Um, uh, so having a guest here on a specific day that, like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm happy that you came, but not a lot of people know who we are. So to get, but do you know what, how long have you been doing it for? One year. One You're year. like episode 54, I think. 53 yeah. or 54. And it just takes time too, right? Yeah. And 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 like most things on the internet, all it takes is that one time where somebody sees right. it and all of a sudden shares it with everybody and right. it just goes viral. Our right. biggest one is 800 and some people and it was a um, uh, lady, local lady that's trying to open a woman's shelter mm-hmm. named Crystal Boys. And uh, yeah, it blew my mind. All of a sudden we had 900 people watching. You're like, right on. Damn. I mean, that's small in internet uh, numbers, yeah. but... Uh, yeah we had a celebrity on and we got virtually nothing out of it so it's it's funny that i'm trying to figure out which ones are popular and why Mm -hmm. and uh you know what i found out was it's whoever the guest is that's sharing that that's what makes it popular and if they don't share then then we don't get that growth out of it so i'm even changing my mind on how i choose guests my past guests are coming on are ones that we're excited about the show and want to share and and i'm not very tech savvy but i'm going to figure out this sharing Uh, stuff yeah we'll make sure we'll We'll, we'll get it shared out there with my Facebook groups yeah. and stuff like that. Absolutely. How much? What are we into? We're almost two hours in, and I won't. I don't want to uh, um, go if you haven't got. What's that? Three and a half minutes, yeah. To um, I'm okay with still going if you are. Yeah, we're we, we got other things we need to do today, but we okay. got a bit of time here. But I don't want to uh, stop the show. If there's anything more you want to get out this time, because I know this was a, a pretty deep episode uh, talking about addiction and uh, yeah. suicides and loss yeah. of parents and stuff. Um, and I loved it. It was uh, it was beautiful to hear your story. Um, I, I think there are a lot of people that are going to get benefits from hearing your story Thank you. and going through what you went through, because there are a lot of people out there that are struggling with addiction yes. and in life. And, and I hope that they're going to take some time to, to listen to this and to go, hang on, I can do this. I can get out of this. I just need to get around some good people. I need yeah. to make better decisions. Um, well, cause it's possible. If Lots I can of people say, overcome. if I can say something to all you viewers out there, if you're dealing with things in life and you feel you're at a point in your life where you've screwed up and you've reached the end of things, or if you feel that um, you're too old to start something new or anything like that, um, stop it. <laughs> First off, 
read the story of Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's a beautiful story. That guy went through hell and back. Yeah. And it was at the point of committing suicide and then stopped. And this was in his late 60s. Right. And then he literally, in his late 60s, passed his retirement age. Yeah. Lost his wife, divorced, uh, couldn't make his payments, his, his maintenance, maintenance on his children, all this type of stuff. He's just uh, losing out. and at, Had to be at his wit's end. At, at his wit, literally at his wit's end to the point that he was about to commit suicide. And then he had that voice that said, no, wait, yeah. try. Right. And uh, he went door to door selling his grandmother's recipe for chicken. <laughs> so nearly crazy. knocking on people's doors going, Try my chicken. And that slogan's on KFC's boxes. Yeah. Try my chicken. Yeah. You know? And and he retired when he when he died, he was a billionaire. Yeah. You know? And he didn't even start that till in his sixties. So what I'm trying to say is um for forty years I kept my art to myself because I let people beat me at that. Yeah. Don't let those teachers beat you down. No. Nope. Just people. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. Don't listen to anybody that tells you you're no good. No, don't listen to anybody that tells you that'll never work, that'll never sell. They just don't see your vision. That's all it is. That's right. Your vision is your vision. They don't see it. They don't get it. And until you make that vision happen then they'll get it. Mm-hmm. But it's up to you. You got to keep at it. And one thing I've learned in entertainment, no never means no. It just means not right now. Right. So don't give up. Keep coming back over and over again, over again, over again. Um, I came back after 40 years of keeping my drawing to myself mm-hmm. through two decades of off and on battling hard drugs and burned a lot of bridges, lost a lot of friends, literally five years ago, stopped, changed, set a different direction, thought about who I wanted to be and who I wanted to stop being. Mm -hmm. And since that, and this is to all you people here, this is me tooting my horn, but for a purpose, I want you to take this as you can do this. This is in five years, I've become drug-free from one of the hardest drugs there is out there to quit and stood up and faced something I was always afraid to face, which was putting my art out there Mm -hmm. and being condemned for it. And in that five years that I've stopped doing the drugs and put my art out there, I own my own art company. I sell worldwide. I I went from 20 unfinished drawings that I worked at uh, at my mom's hospice to now over 500 paintings. Wow. I have a painting that's up in the Hollywood Science Fiction Museum. The first print of that was given to Leonard Nimoy's son, Adam Nimoy. I have a portrait of, of Nichelle Nicole from Star Trek, the original Lieutenant Uhura. Yeah. It was given to her on her 85th birthday wow. as, a, as a gift. Um, I've got major rock icons that I used to idolize as a kid, buying my art and putting it on their walls. 
uh, I've endorsed Chuck from Men Without Hats. I put a picture up of him, and I got an email from him the next day going, I want that for my parents for Christmas. <laughs> and I got him to give me a testimonial for my webpage. If you don't like Jamie Pruden's art, you're no friend of mine. This <laughs> <laughs> is awesome. Uh, Darby Mills, uh, former uh, front person for the Head Pins, and, yeah. and now is doing her own thing, the Darby Mills Project, and she's just an amazing lady. Uh, she's, I met her through my art. She saw a picture I put up of a fireman sawing Alberta Strong Yeah. Uh, when the Fort Mac fire was going on and she liked my picture and we ended up becoming friends and now um, she's got a picture I did of her on her merch tables and stuff like that. Beautiful. Um, I did a portrait of Glenn Campbell when he passed away and his widow sent me a message saying, you know, thank you so much. Wow. This is all happening to me because I decided to make a choice. And that's all it takes. For all the stupid choices I made in life, we always got choices. <laughs> that was a good one. That we was a good choice. Uh, I don't even know where to go from there. That, that That's beautiful. I would encourage anyone, you know, no different than what we're doing this podcast or what you're just uh, keep doing what you love. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not good enough or anyone tell you that you shouldn't be doing it. Keep plugging away. Let's get it out there. We'll, Absolutely. We'll post all of the links to uh, Jamie's stuff on uh, on this uh, podcast and on the YouTube channel and on our social media. Uh, I really enjoyed this, Jamie. You'll have Thank to come you back much. out again. Uh, if you get a show in Calgary, I'd love to attend if, if you get the opportunity to work back in the bars or the clubs again. Absolutely. And we'll uh, share that as well. Okay. Is there a couple of things I can tell people just to keep an eye out for Absolutely. that I'm working on? Yes, Some yes. projects I've got coming up. Uh, I'm the official artist for a group called Runaf- Rutherford Manor. Rutherford they started Manor. out as a haunt in Edmonton. And uh, in the in four or five years, they've escalated now to they have uh, this original story that takes place in 1915 Chicago about this family that's being obsessed by this demon that's manipulating him into doing a bunch of bad killings around town <laughs> kind of thing. It's a you know, haunt kind of thing. And this Rutherford Manor has just grown exponentially. They're worldwide. They've got a uh, a huge fan base that spreads worldwide. They've got two novels written about their characters. They've got a graphic novel out as well as more graphic novels coming out. They've got a card playing board game that I'm doing all the artwork for. So it's called the black altar. Make sure you, when that game comes out played, it's a lot of fun and great eye candy. Cause I did the art for it. Um, also they've got a television show that's in the works coming out. A nice scary thriller kind of horror show based on these characters. And they're just, just a growing thing, so keep an eye out for Rutherford Manor. I'm their one of their uh, official artists, so all the artwork you see in that. Okay, <laughs> and from that, I met a gentleman, one of the actors from the TV show that they're making, uh, Neil Chase, and he's a prominent uh, screenplay writer, director, actor in Alberta. And uh, he's got books out. He's an established writer. He's got uh, screenplays that are award-winning. What's and his wo- name? Uh, Neil Chase. Neil Chase. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he has a screenplay called Dead Strays. And I guess it uh, just, it's Reservoir Dogs meets House on Haunted Hill. Very cool. Kind of thing. And uh, he won, he wrote that screenplay and it won a screenplay writing contest first placed in Las Vegas. Uh, he's now submitting that script down in LA. But he's submitting Beautiful. it as a graphic novel, and guess who's doing the graphic novel? So, Very cool. So watch for that. That's coming soon All as well, too. All that in five years. Five years. That's amazing. 
What else you got? Is that it? That's it. We'll post that all on there, Jamie. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much uh, for having me, Chad. Everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. We'll see you all on our next episode. And let's go to the outro. <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you for listening, thank you for sharing, this podcast is over.